If you're familiar with Romans chapter 8, you know there's no good place to break this. This is one glorious, almost comes across as a song of great joy that Paul sings. And so normally I don't read this many passages, but I do want to read Romans chapter 8 in all of its entirety. That's 39 verses. If you follow along, it will be easier for you. But as you're turning there, and before we stand, I would like to share one thing with you and how the Lord has already just worked uh, this morning. Uh, if you came Thursday night where we celebrated the, the last Passover, I'll walk through Matthew 26. And also this week at release time when we had all the kids from Macedonia, I walked through Matthew 26. And you know me, I like to deal with word for word, phrase for phrase, sentence by sentence to explain and expound the word of God. Well, while I was working through Matthew 26, I got frustrated with the kids on Thursday and I got frustrated again Thursday night celebrating the Passover because I remembered verse 13 of Matthew 26, which reads this. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be spoken of, will be spoken of in memory of her. In other words, the woman with the alabaster box. This morning, Barbara comes to me and said, The Lord laid upon my heart this song and I would like to sing it. Now my heart is satisfied. Because every verse has now been set in its proper place. And we praise and worship not only a risen Savior, but a Savior who is in every single detail of every single word. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 8. Let's stand and let's just rejoice in what God has written to us. And when we finish reading, please remain standing and let's worship God in song for what He has written to us. Paul writes, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, 
to live according to the flesh. For if, I'm sorry. So then, brother, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now we know that God causes all things to work for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it stands written... For your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, 
nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the whole church said, Amen. Again, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to um, Romans chapter 8. Obviously, we're not going to get anywhere near walking through all this, though I would much love to do so. If I were to ask you this question, I wonder how you would answer it. I do want you to give it some thought. And here's my question for you. What if I could tell you how the rest of your life was going to go? Would you want to know? Now, I would imagine for the most of you, you would probably hesitate and then choose no because you would think, well, he might tell me that I don't have long to live. He might tell me that I was going to get sick very soon and pass. Or he might say that there's going to be a terrible tragedy in my life. And I certainly don't want to know about that because it will ruin the rest of the days that I do have. So you're, I think for the majority of you, if you gave it so much thought, you'd say, no, 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 sir, I don't want to know. But the problem is you've already answered the question incorrectly because you were not thinking about the right life. You were thinking about this physical life, and that's no life at all in comparison to the life that we have in Christ. So if I ask you that question, please tell me how things are going to go for me. Oh, I can tell you. God describes it in great detail in Romans chapter 8. He tells us exactly what the Spirit is doing, and He tells us exactly what God has promised to do. And so I can tell you from this day forward, God is going to make you like His Son. And you're going to go from better to better, to better, to best when you stand in His presence the whole way. That's how your life is going to go from this day forward if you are in Christ. I've got nothing but good news. And even in those worst circumstances and in those difficult moments, those do not matter because those themselves have been redeemed. And God is using even those moments to work good in your life and to shape you like Christ. See, that's the beautiful thing about Romans 8. We know exactly how things are going to go from this point forward. This is the very mountaintop of the book of Romans. This is the majestic peak of the book of Romans in Romans chapter 8. And I think it's very fitting that we find ourselves atop the mountain on this particular morning. You guys know, I just walk through the text. I don't have a plan. We get as far as we get, and that's where we pick up next Sunday. And so I was quite pleased to find myself in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 this morning as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, if I had one word to sum up Romans chapter 8, I think I would agree with some other men that I've read. I would have to go with the word assurance. Because when you get to the end of this chapter, you understand just how certain it is that everything is going to go well with you, that you are going to be glorified, that you are going to be fashioned and formed into righteousness and holiness, and you're going to be in the presence of God for the rest of eternity, and you're going to spend all your days rejoicing. Amen. You get to the end of Romans 8, and that's exactly what you know. And you're filled with such confidence and such assurance and such hope because God has promised these things on our behalf. 
Now just in, in light of how it begins and how it flows, you do realize that it begins with this thought, there is now no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. And then Romans 8 ends with this thought, there is no separation from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So he carries us all the way from there is no condemnation to there is no separation from the love of God and all the way through, we are carried safely over in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I told you last week, in the Greek, the very first word of Romans chapter 8 is the word no. That's how emphatic it is. No. It's gone. What's gone? Condemnation is gone. Judgment has been removed. Wrath is no more. Why? Because we are in Christ. And therefore, judgment and condemnation have been removed. And we rest in the love of God. There's also two, two, two broader sections within this chapter. And the first one is the ministry of the Holy Spirit that I'll just touch on this morning. He describes in great detail exactly how the Holy Spirit works in your life to manifest these things. We've already got one loose. And why I say this, let me say, y'all know I don't care. Somebody always catches them, and they always get safely back to mom and dad. So if they get loose, it's okay. I've actually preached holding Benson, I think, one time. It doesn't bother me. So we move from condemnation to no separation, and in the middle we have two things. What the Holy Spirit is doing in your life, and then we have what God has promised to do in your life. And in between those two passages is a few verses on hope. I told my wife this week when I read through this, I said, Paul is an amazing writer. He's extraordinary. And then I kind of smiled because I realized he had a little help. He guided the pen, but the Holy Spirit was putting the words on his heart and he discerned the path and he wrote, I guess, I haven't felt like this since I was in the book of Hebrews, I guess one of the most profound things that have ever been written down on a piece of paper in Romans chapter 8. We are on high ground. And then you come to verse 31. Verse 31 is my favorite. It is the greatest conclusion to an argument all time. Because Paul lays out the gospel in all of its detail through the first seven chapters of Romans. And he carries us all the way to eternity, right? And once he gets us to eternity, this is his question. What then shall we say about these things? That's some more question. Let me just lay it all out for you. And now that I've laid it all out, what do you got to say about this? And then he carries you a little bit further because he wants to guide you. If God be for us... Who is there? Who is there possibly who could ever stand against us? In fact, I thought about this. If the letter to the Romans is read as an argument, a closing argument before any reasonable jury, by the time they get to verse 31, the jurors would announce that there would be no need for deliberations. The case was quite settled in every detail. The verdict is unanimous. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Amen. That's Romans chapter 8. And I would encourage you to read it, and read it, and read it, and read it, and read it again until you see that very thing. Because that's the path that Paul is taking us on as he writes these most precious words. But again, it all begins with therefore in the English. 
And it's therefore because he wants to bring everything that he has been saying to this great climactic close. And if you wanted to, and if we had time, I could take that therefore all the way back to Romans 1 verse 1. But I, I'm not going to do that. I do want to take it back to Romans 5 1 because that is the last time that he wanted to summarize everything with a therefore. He summarizes the first four chapters with a therefore in Romans 5 when he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have... And then he gives us a list. First thing that you have since you've been justified by faith in Christ is peace with God. How about that? That enough, I'm good. If all that we had was with peace with God, we're good at that point. But he gives us a list and he goes through these things in five. Like peace and grace and glory and hope and love. And we walk through those things during the Advent, remember? All these wonderful things because we've been justified in Christ. Six, he deals with grace. Seven, he deals with the law. But all the way, he continues to stack up all these wonderful things that we have since we have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he comes to 8.1 where he says, Therefore now, there's absolutely no condemnation. But it's limited to a particular group of people. If you'll notice the verse, if you'll look at verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those you see, it's certainly not all people that this is the case for. It's only for a certain group of people. And he defines that people for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those are the only ones who will never experience the judgment of God and the wrath of God and the condemnation of God because they are safely in Christ. Amen. Now, in spite of what the lie the world would like to, for you to believe... The reality for the overwhelming masses of humanity still await an eternal judgment and a condemnation in hell. That's the truth of Scripture. They are on the broad road. And if that offends your view of God, let me say with all honesty, even though I hurt your feelings all the more, if that offends your view of God, it's because you've created an idol in your heart and it is not the God of the Bible. But the one who will judge them and condemn them is the very same one that has held out his grace and continues to do so even now because he is the very one who sent his only son to rescue them in love and in grace. It takes us all the way back to Abraham and Isaac when, Isaac carried, or when Abraham carried up his only son to offer him as a sacrifice to God. He had but one son, right? And he lays him down in obedience to the Father. I don't know that Abraham knew that what he was doing was painting a picture, perhaps the most glorious picture of the gospel to ever be painted in the Old Testament because then God the Father Himself would come with His only Son. And he would lay him down, except this time the son would not be rescued with a lamb. No, this time the son's life would be poured out and consumed on behalf of those, right, who would believe. But being in Christ is the only way of rescue that God has provided. It is the only hope we have. And the very only way of being found in Christ is by hearing the gospel, the good news of what God has done on our behalf and in placing one's trust and one's confidence and one's hope in the person and the work of that only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And through faith and faith alone in this good news, 
we are brought into a union. We are placed in Christ. And for the past several weeks, I've given you the same illustration because I think it's an illustration that works over and over and over again. It's the picture of marriage. We are made one in marriage. One man, one woman are brought together in a oneness that we cannot comprehend until we get to the gospel and then we begin to understand it a little better. Because through faith in Christ, we are brought into this vital union with Christ in which we share all things. In other words, His death has become our death. His suffering and sacrifices were in our place. He has died in our place for our sins. And now a great exchange has taken place at Calvary. Our depravity has become His righteousness. Our sin, His sanctification, our death, His life. And it's no just ordinary life. No, it's resurrected life. When He was raised in newness of life, we were raised in newness of life. And this is the gospel, y'all. This is the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because everything that was required of us has been accomplished for us through the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary. It has all been settled. It has all been fulfilled. And it's fascinating that the gospel that was fulfilled is the very days that we celebrate even now. His death on a cross we celebrate just this past Good Friday. His burial and then His resurrection on this day, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. We celebrate this resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. His body beaten and bruised. His deity mocked, maligned. His life crucified and consumed and then placed in a tomb. As if a tomb could ever hold the glory of God. I was thinking about this. You know, the, the grave is such a fitting stage or such a fitting backdrop for the defeat of death. You think about this. It was like death played that game on its own home field. And once the game was over, once the battle was settled, the only thing that was left is you see a stone that had been rolled off to a side. It had meant to seal a tomb, and now it had been rolled over just needlessly and uselessly. It sits there now. A few grave clothes that are about, and a risen Savior standing in the garden in absolute victory over death. Amen. Man, what a day! What a day the Lord has made. And we talked about this, right, Thursday when we were celebrating the last Passover, that perhaps Jesus sang those very words in Psalm 118 as He marched to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now you and I will sing that song forevermore. And when we sing that song, we're talking about this day. Because death is what stands over us. And if we're not careful, death is what still fills us with fear and anxiety. But you have to understand as born-again believers, death has lost its sting. There's no more worry. There's no more concern. No, it has been defeated for us. And now we have nothing left but life and rejoicing and celebration. Brother Eldon knows. He knows it all too well. And I don't know that he could hear me, but if he could, he would say amen and amen. I know exactly what he's talking about. 
And he would tell us death is nothing but a bad joke. The only thing left for you and I is life in the very presence of God. And an empty grave speaks to that. An empty grave speaks loudly and continues to speak loudly of that. And the world could never 